Hey, and welcome back to the Service Please podcast, where we're talking about all things food. And in today's episode, we talk with Mariel Armitage, founder of Club Mexicana, the vegan Mexican restaurant. I've known Mariel for around about eight years or so now. I think veganism meant something very different to a lot of people eight years ago. And Mariel has been one of the key people in changing that narrative, especially within the London food scene. So let's find out how she's done it. So yeah, thank you so much for today. And I think coming into the kitchen and seeing everything, it's been such a hub of activity. But it's been a massive like walk down memory lane for me. Like um, me and Luce used to come up to this space and see everything, can do all of our prep for Bill Beak here. Yeah. And then I've got like a Hanoi Kitchen's van in front of me. There's <laughs> other vans and stuff like that. So it's a real, this is a real it's epicenter. A it's yeah. a real hub, yeah. real, real hub, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, you got Kolkata, you born and raised. Um, yeah, lots of other people. It's good. And you all still share 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 experiences and go through all of the like daily qualms and things like that. Yeah, or do you we think always it's have gone... a little a little bitch in the courtyard <laughs> about anything going really. Um, yeah, and cheese trucker here. Biff used to be here, so yeah, it was a good old. It was a gossip hub really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Right, let me look in. Let me look at this because I'm not we've a. Got, prof- we've got the names of festival organisers etched on a wall and like marks against them. <laughs> Three, three dots and they're out. Don't yeah. do that, don't yeah. do that. Are you excited for Glasgow this year? Yeah, I'd say excited slash terrified. Yeah. I mean, we haven't done it, you know, it's 2019 was the last time we did it and we did festivals, we did a few festivals last year and getting back into them was, it was really, really hard and like by the end of 2019, the, the last year we did Glasgow and loads of other festivals, we had like a team that were amazing, they could just like like run the festivals i literally didn't have to do that much they were incredible and then obviously the pandemic hit and a few of them went traveling and we didn't do them for two years and then i realized last year that i was the only person who was still in the business who could remember how to do festivals and i was like oh shit this is this is absolutely not what i want this is not the expertise that i want to have right now but um we did it and we managed to get rope in a few very willing participants, <laughs> uh, including my wife and um, a few, yeah. I think there was about three or four partners of our crew that were roped into it, but um, yeah, it was good. Great. It was good, yeah. So Glastonbury's the beast, it will happen, it will be good. Yeah. I keep telling myself that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, well, do, I... we do two stalls at it, so it's like, yeah, it's double whammy, but yeah. I think though it is going to be a real release of a lot of things for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone's going to be in good spirits yeah. and good form and like, you the know. The energy there will be, I mean, it always yeah. is amazing, but it's two years off, 50th anniversary. Uh, it will be incredible. It will be, it will be. So let's get into this a little bit. Did you want the door open? Just remembered. We can do it if you want. I don't mind, it's up to you, whatever. I like the artwork. Yeah, I like the yeah, artwork as well. I think it's nice. It's done by our friend Will. He's a really good street food, street, street food, street artist. Street artist, Fine. really nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you started your journey into food, meat in a bun was at the top of the food chain, path to street food, bricks and mortar. Um, do you know what? I think what we'll do is start, I'll warm you up because I think that's quite a, okay. So yeah, I, 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 <laughs> you need warming up, yeah, I think so. So, you know, I, re- I actually remember the day in which I first traded next to you. 
Uh, yeah, and I can yeah, remember King's you, Cross. King's Cross, and I can remember you had like um, little bits of the, um, I can't even remember, like hanging hanging things that you used to like put oh, up and put stuff like, like that. Um, those you, pound shop flowers. Or yeah, flowers. pound shop flowers. <laughs> and you made like a, like a real effort, and like you said, yeah. you know, there was a real brand identity straight away that came in. Um, and it was really, really fascinating. But at that time, you know, I think it was like, were you like the token vegan within Curb and yeah, things yeah, like that? Yeah. Like, how, how was that at that particular moment? No, I think we were. And I think, um, I mean, like, hats off to Curb. And I remember Petra at the time being like, this vegan thing, like, we, we need someone in. And, and it wasn't in a tokenistic way. It was like, she knew that there needed to be, like, diversification of, of what was pretty much meat in a bun in various forms. So I think she was excited about what we could bring. And then, you know, I wouldn't say everybody, even within Curb, was convinced. I think they still thought we were just like the funny little vegan ones. And then, um, and then putting us out on markets with people like you. And I think, like, I, mem I remember seeing you guys before we started trading. And uh, uh, as with lots of other people in Granary Square, like, your setup was like, it was cool, but it was like it was really minimal, and like, and I really like that sort of style. Um, but every and everybody's was quite like that in their own way, um, and so like the OSB board with like black on it, and then we were like, okay, so we need to stand out as being totally different to that. So let's go with this kind of like 80s tropical. There is literally Club Tropicana playing it <laughs> in our prep kitchen. We don't make them play that all the time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we were like, let's go bright pink, let's like go really colourful, you know, these sorts of colours in the background and, um, and then just, we just were like, let's, I suppose now I'd look at it from a design point of view and be like, it was kind of like, let's go for a maximal style, you know, like putting more and more into it, like pound shot flowers, like basically cover up any metal parts of the gazebo, any like exposed wood, that's not our style. Let's go like full colour and make ourselves look like this tropical oasis in the middle of Granary Square, in the middle of other traders with like bare wood and, you know, this kind of macho appeal. Um, because because that is, we, we would like to attract an audience who don't really want that. They don't want like like rough and ready burgers. They want something more colourful, like, you know, a bit lighter, a bit more, you know, I think we were just trying to showcase what the food was. And actually, we remember we pulled people in, um, they hadn't even looked at the menu, and by the time they'd got the food, they were like, oh my God, is it vegan? You're like, yep, okay, bye, thanks, <laughs> thanks to have your money, thank you, bye. But, you know, that's kind of, we sort of, I guess we sort of tricked people in a way, but, yeah, and I remember all the other traders looking at us thinking we were absolutely bonkers, and it used to take us, I'd say like an hour longer to set up because of all the like frilly little bits That's and our little like say. glittery tablecloth and you know little we put like little um, sunglasses and stuff like tropical sunglasses I bought all this crap off eBay and whatever I mean yeah the amount of plastic it's really terrible I would never do that now looking back but yeah um, and then it would take us another like two hours to, t to take everything back down again. And everyone's like, I don't understand why you do this. And it was kind of like, well, yeah, because we need to, because we, you know, we need to set ourselves apart. If we just, if we had just <coughs> rocked up and done a similar sort of minimal thing and just written like vegan in big capital letters, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have got any customers. That's very different now, but like, yeah. 
So that was that was why we did that. Yeah. And we did seem a bit bonkers and everybody thought we were mad, but Yeah. You know. Well I think that's why I alluded to, you know, the hanging of the things, because I was like it, I, I can remember being like, right, we're really time pressed, we need to like set up, get everything done. And I just see you doing this and I was like What's going on here? But I yeah. loved it. I loved yeah. it. I loved it. And I think, yeah, definitely it did bring people in. That was going to be what I was going to say. Like, do you feel that people came in that just didn't really know what was going on because of that? And yeah, so definitely. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think you also just said, you know, uh, about meeting the bun. And it really was at the top of the food chain yeah. at that particular point. And I think it, there were just iterations of that. You know, like you and me have even just had the conversation right now. It was like to get into Curb. You know, I can remember looking through the trailer list and being like, there's no one doing duck. So it's like, right, we need to do this and come up with a name for that. And it was just like, because it would be meat in a bun. And then, you know, we were able to propel yeah. ourselves on there. And I think at that particular point, it was very, it, not easy, but it was, you could see a, a roadmap or a path to be able to go from your street food store into maybe a bricks and mortar or into pop-ups or into to that. And, I'm intrigued, obviously, did it feel that there was that like ascendance and path for you at that particular point? Or could you, could you imagine, or did you even envisage where it was gonna go? Not really, no. Um, like, I was, I was really rubbish when people were like, oh, where do, you see this, where do you see this going? Where do you see this business going? And like, to be honest, it really was at the very beginning an escape from my like job in advertising that I'd come to hate over the part the 10 years before and just really 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 wanting to do something in food and really really wanting to like showcase vegan food in London because I'd come back from Australia where like veganism was like just a it was kind of like a cool normal thing in the dining scene to back over here where like literally people were still laughing at me when I said I was vegan in a restaurant. Um, so yeah, I had sort of, I guess, I guess I was quite, um, it was a bit of a weird thing where I had, I did have a real like mission in my head that I wanted to like, yeah, create great vegan food and show people that it was interesting and fun and, and exciting and could be just as good as like all the other food that was kind of happening in street food at the time. But I also never really had like a vision for it moving forwards. And I, you know, we did a pop-up to start with and then that we got into Curb kind of off the back of that. The pop-up was super fun. And like I did it um, with my wife actually every Saturday night in a cafe in Hackney. And that felt like the biggest achievement at the time. I was just like, I just can't get any better than this. This is great. I'm loving it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I mean, obviously, then I like had to pay rent and stuff, and it was a bit like, oh, okay, so I need to kind of make a living out of this. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I never really. It was, it was. I guess it was like, and and maybe this is the case for a lot of people in street food that it, you sort of you you take every step, every little mini step at a time. And for for me, I, I always have to approach like life and work a bit like that because I get really out faced otherwise so it's like okay so now we've done a pop-up let's I really wanted to get into Curb because I saw that they were doing like really exciting food things I pestered and pestered and pestered Petra until we got a meeting with her and then we were able to go into her office and like cook some food and then once we were in Curb I was like okay we got one market 
a month or something or one market a week i mean this is like this is kind of 101 for like how it goes with curb and street food i think and then it's like right okay now we've got one a week with curb okay so now we want to get into street feast so like talk to street feast get like i got into some kind of like trader day that they were running through a back door literally not literally through a back door but like you know on the invite of somebody else who'd been invited and then and then it was like I, th I suppose it was just like right we need to build up into like doing as many street food events and markets as possible um and then see what happens with that and then mm. I think you kind of get to a point where you're like um okay so what am I doing next okay festivals that's a good one so let's do festivals let's do the biggest and best festivals and then after that it's like what's next and I think the difficult thing for for me at, at the time was just it seemed ridiculous to think that we could have a restaurant and I was always quite shy or, or embarrassed to say like yeah that's what I want because it did seem crazy because there wasn't any other like 100% vegan restaurants that there was vegetarian restaurants like people like Mildred's and stuff who I think are now fully vegan but yeah they were vegetarian at the time but um, there wasn't anything fully vegan let alone something that was vegan and Mexican like sort of niche within a niche um, so yeah um, I guess it was kind of like I, what I tried to do was sign, kind of soak up everything that was happening I, I could see how veganism was snowballing and how like um, you know I, I, that's the brilliant thing about doing street food obviously is you get to talk to the customers so many people kept on coming they're coming back saying how much they enjoyed it more people bringing friends people being like oh I'm trying to eat vegan like two or three times a week or I just love eating vegan for lunch and you know it's just this constant like constant sort of positive reinforcement and then literally like people's mums being like oh I try and give everybody a vegan meal like you know uh, in my house and it just and suddenly it's like hang on this is getting really mainstream now um and then I think there was just obviously like some kind of tipping point where I was like yeah it, this uh, this actually could be a thing um and actually I think we could you know everyone in street food always talked about bricks and mortar and you know that's the ultimate goal and there was a point where a lot of some people were thinking like actually I don't want bricks and mortar because it's quite like it sort of constrains you and you've got to you know pay rent and get all these staff and everything and I was a bit like yeah maybe that's maybe that's right and then I was like no actually I really I really enjoy that and I really enjoy growing growing a business and I remember seeing um, Zan from Bleaker Burger talking about that and she was like yeah there's a point at which you can't do that much more to your food like you can't keep on changing your food all the time like it, it, it will completely wear you out and if, and if you enjoy growing the business and growing a team and growing something that you really believe in then getting bricks and mortar is the ultimate thing for that and I was like oh yeah okay so that's how sort of I ended up deciding that that was the path but, but it took a long time you know we were going like seven years before we opened Kingley Court so we didn't do it like massively quickly. Yeah, I think listening to what you're saying there, it's it's really, really fascinating because I consider you single-minded in the respect of every time I have a conversation with you, it feels there's a like a body of confidence and like you know what you're doing and where it's coming yeah. from. And thinking about what you're just saying there, it does make me really realise that for you in 
the vegan world at that particular point, you really were at a bit of a frontier and a bit of a trendsetter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it wasn't like you could look around and be like, oh, so there's a vegan restaurant there. It's like, oh, how did they do it? How, like, and even going to be able to have a conversation with that founder and being like, how have you found being able to get a market and bringing people that maybe aren't completely vegan into my restaurant yeah, and things yeah. like that. So it must have been quite intimidating and lonely at times in that kind of like space, you know what I mean? And like all second guessing yourself a lot of the time. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I got like, I probably got more help from like vegan restaurants in other countries than in London. You know, like there's a great vegan Mexican taco place in Tulum in, in Mexico that like, you know, I'm really good friends with the owner and the, and the chef there. And like, you know, it, it's always been really great talking to them, even though like we're miles away and then completely it, it, their stories about building restaurants are crazy. But like, yeah, I always connected with people like that rather than people here m much more. Um, I think, yeah, I, d I yeah, it, it did feel. I mean, I never felt lonely because that's the beauty of like the community within street food and food in general that like there was there was lots of people who were in the community and I could talk to about things. And I guess I sort of, I've always, I've never had like one single mentor for anything, but I sort of try and pick certain people for certain things. So like Zan, for example, has been a really great mentor to, mentor to me. She doesn't understand our food. Like she's the, the queen of burgers and like, and, and loves meat, but like, you know, the advice that she's given me about running a business and the sort of financial side of things and team and, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff is second to none. And there's been other people who have given me lots of different information. And even, you know, even just like at a festival sitting behind the stall and chatting with, you know, people like you. And it's like, yeah, you all have these little things, these little things that you struggle with. And I think without having each other to talk to, that would be really lonely. But it, but it wasn't. Um, but I think there was also like a flip, a, a sort of a tipping point where um, suddenly everybody wanted in on the vegan thing. And I remember, you know, we did a res we got sort of picked in inverted commas to do a residency um, at a bar in Dalston who they just had like somebody really good doing a residency there and they wanted us to do it because they thought that like veganism was the next big thing. And, you know, I think you know, and that was fine and we were there for a year, but it was... It's like Pamela, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I, I think I realised at that point, I was, and then suddenly lots of people started asking us to do lots of things. And, and you know, we could have been like, yeah, yeah, we'll do this and we'll do another pop-up and we'll do another one. And I know people who have done like five pop-ups at the same time. And I think, you know, it was very much like, okay, what can we manage and what can we manage like sustainably and how can we do this properly? And I think realizing quite early on that there was a lot of people who you know they would be like oh we really love your food and blah, blah, blah. it wasn't it was like they hadn't even eaten the food it was just that they really really wanted something vegan because it was the like so hot right now thing and i think i've always been really careful not to just jump in with anybody who says that i'm still i'm still like it now i'm really paranoid but like I think making sure that like we worked with the right people, the right partners at the right time in the right spaces that our audience could go to, um, it enabled us to build something like proper and sustainable. And we weren't running, I mean, I, I was running around in circles like a crazy person, but 
not as much as I could have been. Um, so I think that making like managing that in like bite-sized chunks was was really helpful. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I don't, that doesn't answer the question about being lonely. But yeah. No, <laughs> no. Well, it goes it goes on. So it's quite interesting because. I was I, I was raised by just my mum and she was an incredible entrepreneur and like really like a bit of a go-getter. So when I think of women in business and things like that, it doesn't actually seem um, foreign to me. Yeah. But actually you speaking about like Zan and things like that, it, it felt actually when you look at it, like the meat in the bun kind of situation and food at that time was a very male-oriented yeah. industry. Yeah. Yeah. And like... Did it feel so that that was a bit of like a compounding effect with the veganism and then with food and then all of those kind of things? Yeah, there wasn't that many, there wasn't that many women doing it at all. It, it was very male dominated. Um, I think um, it was, I mean, look, I've, I'm lucky. I've, I've been brought up to be like, pretty confident and I also have a mum who's like incredibly entrepreneurial and like stands up to everybody and so the male dominated world that we all live in when you have mums like that it seems it does seem slightly different and then suddenly when you're an adult in that world you're like oh right okay so there is a patriarchy <laughs> but we didn't have that because our mums are like badasses yeah, yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> so I kind of like I kind of like try and be like my mum most of the time basically um which means i'm not in, i'm not intimidated by you know everybody apart from me being a bloke in the room or or in the street or in granary square or whatever um but it it yeah and also all of those blokes are literally like meaty blokes who thought we were mental i guess i just always had this like underlying like i had this like I know thing happening where I was like in my head I was like yeah I know I know that like you all like making your burgers and everything and that's cool and I know that everybody likes buying them but trust me that is changing and you it, it can't it literally can't continue like this and I remember having a really interesting chat with actually Neil Rankin who's like he is quite an intimidating you know macho bloke in food and I remember he was work he was helping Street Feast like be a kind of a mentor to a lot of the the food traders within Street Feast we had a chat at Model Market I think it was like our first night there or something and I was like oh my god oh my god Neil's coming over to us what we're we gonna say and he's like yeah this vegan thing yeah it's interesting and he was I think he was eating like some of our tofish tacos tofu wrapped in seaweed he was like these are really good and I was like <laughs> oh my god he likes our food and um and i was like i was like okay but it's just the tofu like everybody loves the tofu it's like deep fried you, you know everybody loves it and he but then he started talking a lot about veganism and his and his business which obviously at the time was uh, temper and he was doing loads and loads of meat stuff and, and um and like his whole world was me and you know he was like that kind of nose to tail whatever yeah. type farming I, I don't know that much about it but <laughs> uh yeah and he but then he started talking to me saying like i'm fully aware that my business is not sustainable over the next like 20 years and that that hit me that was like whoa so hang on we've got like one of the best meat chefs in the country telling me that he thinks that that veganism is like the future of food. He literally said that veganism is the future of food. 
funny now seeing what he's doing with like simplicity yeah. burger and everything. That's but, what I was and, and, say. and that that was the beginning of like quite a good friendship between me and him and we've done loads of food stuff together over the years and you know, he really changed my perception actually of like meaty chefs. Um but yeah, so I think, you know, having having my own thoughts about it and having people like him being like, Yeah, no, you're right, like this is this is the future. And I and I don't I've never been like, oh I think that like everybody's gonna give up meat. Um but what I did know was that like the the space in which well the market share or whatever that we that we take up was growing and was only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and you, you know I constantly get like you know people who I know sending me articles in the newspapers about like you know veganism's in increased by like 499 <laughs> percent in the supermarkets and I'm like yeah no that's that's kind of why we're we're growing as well and we're doing well as a business so so I have that like that underlying confidence um I also had I think I'm building relationships with some like men in the industry, like Neil, you know, um, that also helped as well. And I remember um, Henry at Street Feast, Leon was also really like that, was really like, you know, this is this is the future as well. Leon's now, you know, obviously that he's not involved in it anymore, but like, you know, they do a lot of vegan stuff. That was part of like he, what he believed in. Yeah, and even like Jonathan Downey and, you know, just key figures who did come across as quite macho and blokey were like, yeah, no, no, this is good, this is good. Like, this is, yeah, we got you, this is good. So, it, it you know, it, again, it's like part of that community and stuff. But, and I think it is, it is harder as a woman. I think street food is incredibly hard as a woman. I've noticed since the pandemic, loads of women who were doing really great street food things have like dropped out of it since then and okay. you know so i yeah i quite like to try and help anybody that i can um because i do know it's it's difficult but yeah that's kind of my journey in it does that make sense yeah i think um trading next to you at street feast as well i can remember we w we went in it was at hawker house and um i was always blown away by the people coming over to the store and some of them, you know, might have been these archetypal butchy kind of style men or something like that. And they'd be like, yeah, can I have the pulled pork um, thing? Because obviously they think it would like jackfruit. Yeah, and yeah. like that is so fascinating that you completely made an accessible vegan brand that was inclusive, but also that people didn't really realise that they were yeah. actually entering that space. It was they were coming for the vibes, like the way in which the food looked and tasted and probably like brought back to the table and looked fantastic. And it's like so like, was that always a bit of like your idea and mission basically behind that kind of thing? Hold on one second, yeah. let me do that. Yeah, so was that always like an idea and the mission a little bit behind what you wanted to achieve or did that just come, that just came part of it? No, it was, it was always, it was always part of it. I remember like sitting in a cafe in Shoreditch, like thinking about what I wanted Club Max kind of to be before we'd even done the pop-up. And it was, it was about everything. It was like, you know, how did I want people to feel when they walked in or they walked up to the stall and what did I imagine Clemets kind of to be? And it's like literally like the one video like at Pikes, literally like, I want, like, I, want this, I want this swimming pool, I want like this to be like awesome tunes, I want everybody to feel welcome, you know. Um, and since, since going to Pikes, I'm like, it is actually Pikes, cool, so just copied them. Um, but yeah, 
yeah, like just I wanted it to be a bit of everything. I wanted I wanted everyone to just feel fun because that's what to me that's what was missing with vegan food at the time that you know there was vegan cafes and stuff and I worked at one before starting Club Max but um it was so serious. Animal rights posters yeah, on the walls, kind of thing. Animal rights stuff, you know. It was like part cafe, part bookshop of like ethical books, and you know, even the coffee had some like story to it that was ended in tragedy or something. <laughs> like it was really, everything was really it's sad. Serious. And I remember working in that cafe, being like, "This is not, um, you know, it's not something that people. It's not aspirational, like we used to say in advertising. Like, you know, it's not an aspirational brand or a thing that people want to do. And it was like, that's what veganism needs. It needs like a rebrand. It needs like somebody coming in and giving it a refresh and making it seem a cool, fun, interesting thing to do that people want. They want to buy into this. And that's kind of why that whole like I want like it to be you know Club Max Connor is like a swimming pool and amazing music and really like amazing like everybody's cool and you know it's fun and everything like that it's because I guess from my like advertising background that's what you have to do when you're creating a brand is like you have to envisage everything about it you have to go to a client and stand up and tell the story of like what their you know what their brand is and what it represents and if their brand was a person what would they be like and if it was like a building what would it look like and it's all that kind of stuff and I did kind of think that with Club Mexicana so yeah all the like fun stuff and all the like extra time spent dressing up our stall or you know putting up I remember at that street fleece we we like killed ourselves trying to put up a projector and a projector projector. there was a projector yeah um but it was all—it was all for that purpose. It was all because, like, I wanted people to, to, to not walk past us, to just walk past and look at and look at us and be like, "What is that? I want some of that." You know, we've all been to those places where, you're like, I want to be in there. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's kind of like that was the the vision behind it because, yeah, all all the vegan stuff and 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 all the vegetarian stuff in London was so boring, um, and it was just making people think that like. You eat in places because because they are enticing and they and they're fun and they're places that you want to be in and you want to sit there with your friends and have a couple of drinks and yeah of course you want the food to be good but does it matter whether the food has animal ingredients in it or not that was the point it's like it's they're all just ingredients whether it's like jackfruit and tofu or you know potatoes whatever as opposed to like a slab of a dead animal like it doesn't it doesn't matter because you, you well I mean it matters to me but you're there for like 90% of the reason you're there is of not what's on the plate agreed as long as it's good and yeah. tasty you know but yeah I think that's the biggest thing for me it's like you know the idea of breaking bread together and like sharing food and ideas and catalyzing things that's what about yeah. getting around a table of food is all about and as long as everyone's out enjoying that experience actually it allows other things to be able to flow from that yeah. and things like that you know we get it all the time at the restaurant with people saying like oh my god we didn't realize it was we didn't realize it was vegan or we get vegans who bring their non-vegan friends who literally trick them and then at the end they're like ah it was all vegan and they're like what and they can't believe it and it's kind of like you know it's sort of on a multitude of levels it's like they don't, the, the, you know, we make our food as like as flavorful and as punchy as possible so that people don't feel like they're missing out in any way. But also, you know, the service, the music, the vibe, everything, yeah. it's just all got to be like 
on point. And I think going back to your point about like dressing up the stalls and, and you know, pulling people in, I guess within the street food scene at that time and like knowing people's preconceived ideas about veganism, we, um, we were conscious that we had to just do that extra step because we couldn't, we couldn't just rely on like just having a menu and you know people could put like fried chicken or you know duck burgers or whatever up and people would come and get them we had to pull them in and it was like disco balls like projector screens like music like dancing even you know like i think we were some of the only people who had like branded t-shirts on all the time and you know every customer that came to the store we were like hello you're right like come and talk to us if you don't want to talk to us have a little dance like you know and it was but you know, and it's quite nice. We still got to do that at the festivals and stuff, which is which is cool. But yeah, I mean, that, and that's a vibe in our restaurant as well. Not taking it too seriously and like making customers have an awesome time. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the, the interesting thing for me is to understand the product of your own success has now taken it to a place like I was. I was looking at articles in like the Grocer, and you put in veganism and things like that. And there are just article after article of supermarket chains, wine brands, all of these things basically now in indoctrinating and getting involved in it. Like, has that ever been a point that's made you feel a little bit nervous or anxious of being like, where do we now fit in within this space? If everyone's doing it, like, are we still here standing out like we once were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there was a point where, like, yeah, I felt really, really nervous about it all. Um, and I think, like, you remember, like, supermarkets were coming up to us in in a curb and like sending teams who literally were like hi okay we're from marks and spencers and like we're developing some new food so like yeah can we try some of this jackfruit and then literally now they do like barbecue pulled jackfruit in marks and spencers and it's like uh i mean it took them but it it, it took it did take them like three or four years to develop that and i suppose so I got initially nervous about it, then saw nothing. And then I remember talking to people and people were like, yeah, but the supermarkets take ages. And actually what's happened is they aren't, they do now do it. Their product, they're, it's not as good because it's still a supermarket. Yeah. And you know, they, they just try and produce as like high volume as cheaply as possible. Um, and also I guess as they've been like developing their stuff and, and also other like vegan restaurants and stuff who, you know, but they're using like beyond meat burgers and stuff. I guess all for, for all that time, we've just been like plodding on, continuing what we're doing, developing our food. Um, and I've just been getting, I suppose, more and more into it and more and more like invested in it. And then it just gets to a point where you're like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to let these, the, the sort of big competitors make me feel nervous because I really believe in what we're doing. I really believe in our food. We can also change our dishes at the drop of a hat, as opposed to Marks and Spencer's and their pool jackfruit, which they've probably, you know, already, you know, they've probably got like five years worth of supply done. Um, yeah, so I suppose, yeah, I just tried not to feel too intimidated. It, it, you know, it was a weird time when everybody started doing it. And I remember thinking like, are we just going to get taken over? But I suppose that's where, you know, I do look to to other restaurants and be like, well, res restaurant restaurants in general still survive, even though like supermarkets do all their food and there's lots of competition between them and competition's actually a good thing. And I suppose the good thing is that a lot of other vegan restaurants have come up and a lot of other vegan um, businesses and actually 
now there is a whole community of like vegan food people that I can that I can talk to and I don't feel that sort of loneliness and um, it is really nice really nice having that and really nice seeing other people coming up through the ranks and you know you look at someone like Biff like you know they are now in Waitrose and that's amazing and they've come from you know Kerr the same as us and you know it is it's wicked seeing that and, and I sort of I can rejoice in other people's success and I think that all it is is like it's broadening the category it's like you know I, I suppose I've gone from feeling maybe a little bit nervous about it to like the more the merrier this is wicked because actually it's getting people talking everybody's seeing it it's it has become the thing that I wanted it to become which is like a, a, a kind of aspirational thing where everyone's like oh my god there's veganism things everywhere everybody's doing it all my friends are doing vegan stuff oh they went to this vegan restaurant they went to this vegan restaurant i want to be in it i want to be in the vegan club and i'm like that's wicked that's that's why that's exactly where i wanted it to go 100 percent. and i think obviously for you as well being getting to the point of having your first restaurant in kingly court it must be extremely exciting intimidating um and the journey to get to that it is it is really challenging you know there's a lot of like financial implications to be able to get to that point um, and for you your opening was supposed to be the week <laughs> prior uh, to national lockdown and yeah. things like that so you know you've just expressed this whole journey and the struggles and like the challenges in which you've had to come over and then you were hit with that on that mm. particular moment like yeah. that must have been a real kick in the teeth yeah I mean going in knowing that we had our like opening night booked in and then Boris Johnson's being like don't go out don't go to restaurants don't go to theatres like um okay thanks for that uh yeah so I mean look it was it was it was pretty catastrophic yeah. at the time um it's a strong word yeah but I only realized that later actually and I because I think you know the whole the whole thing of like the pandemic and lockdowns it was really scary for everybody and um, you know, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, no, obviously we can't, we can't open the restaurant because like there's this huge global thing happening and no one knows what's going to happen and it's really scary on just a life level, let alone like business, restaurant opening. Um, I, and I suppose at the time, like none of us knew how long it was going to go on for. So, so maybe we were like, oh, look, maybe it might be delayed for like a month or something. Um, but yeah, it was really difficult. I think then like we didn't you know we didn't open the restaurant it was sitting there ready to open but instead of instead of navigating a restaurant opening we had like we had like te teams of staff and we had to navigate like the furlough system and what all the rules were surrounding all the different like government financial things and that was that was a real like headache and also how do we support all of our teams I mean and I think everybody in hospitality will say like that was one of the hardest things is like how do you guide a load of t a team of like quite young people mm. who didn't know what the hell was going on and you know you're sort of in this almost like parental capacity where they're looking to you being like yeah but when when am I going to have a job again when am I going to work again and you're like okay um we don't know either but you couldn't say that you just have to like give them some strength and so it, it suddenly it just really flipped into you know let's have let's work out how we're going to deal with this um but yeah then we opened and then we closed again and then we opened again and then we closed again and i think we've done like four openings there which you know stands us in good stead for the next restaurant opening for sure we're really <laughs> well practiced at it now but actually look i don't know was it it you, 
I'm trying to look at it from a positive point of view that like it was really hard and it was difficult but like it built like massive resilience mm. with, with me personally and like and within the business and I think that we came out of it as a stronger team um, and you know and when we did open the restaurant oh my god the team was so enthusiastic like you couldn't you couldn't buy that enthusiasm like you know they'd literally everyone had been sitting around waiting to do this for like four months or something it was like yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. go everyone was so excited to be back and working with each other and you know what it's like in a, in a kitchen like it's that close sort of it's camaraderie like everybody wants to help each other and like so it was not only the sort of being able to have social contact with people again it was like I literally am working with somebody and they're relying on me to do something and I'm relying on them and it's fun and it's interesting and we're making food and yay so yeah so that was the positive part of it um, and then obviously you know we've sort of gone through all the ups and downs that every business has but we're still here on the other side of it um, which is great you know we had we did our boxes our DIY taco boxes which obviously people did and you know we did lo we did loads of stuff to keep us going and but we are still here and um, yeah, I feel pretty exhausted by it all. Yeah. But, but it has it does now make sort of normal in inverted commas life and work feel like Easy. easier. Maybe like we 100%. had to we had to we had to hit rock bottom. Yeah. And for it to be really really hard for it now for it to be like oh it's a, it's actually like I really enjoy coming to work it's a joy. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think even listening to what you were just saying then, it's like, I remember at the beginning, you know, we had like 30 people or so on the books and the messages were coming out from the prime minister at that particular point. And I remember every single morning, I used to pour myself like a filter coffee and I used to sit on my step outside my front and like go through every single like Yahoo Finance, the times, everything. And like understanding like, like tax in it, yeah. in a way to be able to explain the furlough situation to people. And also I think we're, we're quite similar minded, you know, like when it was the food operations and stuff like that, Ethically, I felt that it was important to protect my staff because we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And that meant just shutting your business and the financial repercussions of that. And you, you I, like I've just spoken to your staff, he was like, we, they, it was entered in with that knowing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think when you talk about your staff ready for the opening and things like that, it's because they know the sacrifices that you made as a business operator and owner for the protection of like the family. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and things yeah, like that and going yeah. beyond. And I think that's what's really, really powerful. And I think a lot of people within that are outside of food, you, they like they can't really fully understand how challenging that time was because yeah. a lot of people were just they were still just going about their day. Yes, yeah. they were like locked away at home and things like that. But it was a very different kind of thing, I think, for the hospitality and leisure sector and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I don't I don't think many people outside of the industry can can understand it. I think, you know, there's probably other sectors where people run their own businesses and, you know, they had their own challenges. But like, you know, I think within within food, entertainment, leisure like all the things that basically you couldn't do during a lockdown all of our businesses it was really scary times and i think like i think the biggest worry like for me was sort of getting up every day and not knowing how long we'd ha we had like you know and and i know that there was a multitude of, of business owners that was like this but like 
you didn't when when were you going to run out of cash like every day it was like checking the bank balance looking at like okay so we've got these furlough payments going out you know people don't even understand that like we had to pay furlough to people before we even got it back from the government and you know all things like that and it's like the cash flow was so tight and it but, but the, the problem with it was that it wasn't like in normal times where it, it is literally cash flow stuff going out and stuff coming back in there was nothing coming back in that first lockdown that first four months none of us knew how long it was going to go on for we were all shitting ourselves about running out of money and then and then literally you know it's like having you know giving giving staff their furlough and then knowing in the back of your mind that if we run out of money they won't get anything they can't they can't get any money like you know and it that was a that was a massive you know you just referred to it as family and like that's how it felt it was like i feel i have such a duty to this team of people i really really can't let us like run out of money you know that it all of those people will not have a job it it's that's really terrifying and like the thing that I have spent the last like seven years putting everything into could just all come crumbling down around us. Yeah. And like those, those two things compounded was, it was terrifying. Yeah. I, I remember like I used to just come in here like on my own, just literally like trying to make myself busy, like sorting stock out, like the amount of stock that came back from the sites. Like I rearranged it like 17 times over that period. Cause I just was like, okay, well, if I put all the boxes over here, then that will be better. And then that will probably get us through COVID. It will just, we'll sort everything. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. we're all, we were all going absolutely yeah. bonkers. Yeah. And, I, and I remember in this yard actually, so the cheese truck were doing their like cheese deliveries at home. Um, Biff was doing some takeaway stuff, like Hanoi Kitchen, I think he was like, what, am I doing some markets or not? I don't know. And we were all just, I, it was all just us lot running around. Like we must've seemed absolutely bonkers to everybody in the outside world, yeah. but it's because we were put through it mentally, I think. hundred percent. I think the biggest word that comes up for me a lot of the times when thinking back to it is like the erosion of my business. It felt like yeah. it, it, you'd spent so long building this up and then every single day there was a little bit yeah. that was being chipped away and like you couldn't control how much or little was going no. but you could see that it was going to just continue to be going yeah. down if you weren't putting stuff in but you didn't know what you needed to put in exactly. and it was it was really weird and it, like the amount of money we lost over that over that year alone was like it was awful and it was you know it sounds selfish but it's like i didn't do an, i did not do anything to make to like you know make that erosion happen you know i wasn't i was running my business really well i had a team of people who were doing their jobs really well you know everybody was doing the right things you know we we you know we have a product that like we've created and you know we've, we've ticked all the boxes and then for this like pandemic to happen and suddenly yeah like as you said like chip bank balance being chipped away chip chip chipped and being told that like oh, don't worry, you don't have to pay as much tax um, as you normally do. And oh, don't worry, you don't have to pay business rates. It's like, yeah, I should fucking hope that. <laughs> like, I, you know, if, I, if someone whacked me with a business rates bill during when all of our sites were shut and we were taking in no money, I, I literally don't know what I would have done. Yeah. Probably done some like dirty protests <laughs> at number 10. Yeah, 100%. Um, but like, yeah, it's, and I think that's, and that's part of like, I suppose there is a bit of a disconnect with the outside world that we went through all of that and um and now what 
people are saying, and even in the like immediate thing, like eat out to help out the August after the after the first lockdown, you know, people were like, oh God, well you're doing so well, everywhere's packed. Like, oh God, you must be raking it in. Oh, you're going to make so much money at the festivals this year. Um, you know, and there's even headlines about like, you know, restaurants are back up to like pre-pandemic levels and you know that's the justification for putting VAT back up to the top rate and stuff and it's like you've all got no idea you've got no idea how we have we lost so much money it's going to take more than that to recoup what we lost but you know we are just literally being told by the government to suck it up and just deal with it and you know there is no more support and that's the end of it and it does wind me up because I've seen so many restaurants go out of business because of it. We're really lucky that we're still here. But there's loads of people who've gone out of business either because of the financial stuff or mentally they couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And Or, or both together. Um, and yeah, I suppose that's where I really have difficulty talking to people outside of the food industry because... Yeah, and because it, 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 you do sound you do sound like all doom and gloom if you're like, yeah, no, we are busy, but not enough to like make up what we lost. I mean, that's not yeah. that's not fun and it's not cool. It's not the it's not the brand I'm, no. I'm trying to create. You're trying to create, but, no. You know, there is there is that in the back of my head, but I think that it, I I think it will take years for our industry to like feel at one with other industries. Hundred percent. Because we we were hit so hard and we haven't been given the support to get through it um if if anything it's bonded us all as as people within the industries but i think we're quite like standing there with shields like no no one else is coming in you don't understand us like we're only going to talk to each other now. yeah <laughs> which isn't i don't want it to always be like that but yeah it feels a bit like that sometimes. yeah i think uh we share the same accountancy team and stuff like that and obviously yeah. we had our account meeting in like shout march of this Sadulo. year shout out for sadulo <laughs> But like for us, you know, uh, it was it really, really put it at home. The year prior to the pandemic and up to March, my business has turned over a million pounds and it went to 157,000, which is a big, big dramatic thing. Yeah. And then you yeah. don't think as an entrepreneur, you know, we'd been looking to be able to like get, uh, put a deposit for our first home. And then because obviously you, because <laughs> you're, because your accounts and like mortgage potential is linked to like your business and stuff like that it means that you know that doesn't take into consideration so yeah. it like it's a bigger multi like you know what i mean and like like you said like going like yes i'm busy for one month but it doesn't make up the whole time in which it's been taken no, away no, no exactly um i think though that that it, the beautiful thing and why i'm also within hospitality more than anything and i think that family element is when the pandemic did happen within I think week one or week two, um, you started with Sports Banger and Johnny and basically yeah. started getting the shirts out and then the funding of that um, was utilised to be able to provide food to the staff in ICU units uh, across London. And, you know, Lucy, uh, my partner, she was absolutely like week one out going to Lewisham Hospital, calling them up and like every single day, it was absolutely amazing. And I think you were a real, and you were the catalyzing force behind that and actually got a lot of people within the food community, uh, you know, just engaged with it. And like, that was an amazing, amazing thing that you you, you started. Well, I think that, um, you know, I mean, credit to John, because he was literally like, it, it feels wrong to take the money from these t-shirts. I really want to like put it back into the NHS. That's where it should be going. And I think, you know, he sacrificed a lot for that, um, which is quite amazing. But um, yeah, I think the idea of like 
the money going direct to food businesses who had been really badly affected. Like we, you know, we particularly used small food businesses who, who had just had everything taken out from them. I remember one business that we were using, they couldn't access any of the furlough stuff. They couldn't access any of the grants because they'd only set up within the last year. It meant that like their books were sort of not valid for HMRC. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like using the money to pay for food. You know, we didn't want like discounts or whatever. It's like pay for food, get the food to the staff who actually needed it. And it was this really like nice virtuous cycle. Um, and then like people like me and Luce and um, Jess from Ready Jerkin, you know, we run, we run food businesses where like logistics is a huge part of what we do. And it's like organising, food being picked up, food being dropped off, where are we going to take it to, ringing the right people, doing like this, doing like this. Like, it's, what we, it's what we love. We love that part of it. And um, so, yeah, I think doing all that and it just, I think, you know, like what I was saying before about like, I just needed to keep busy. I think all of us were like that. Like we've, we had to keep busy and we had to keep busy with a purpose. And, you know, this, the, what we were doing with John and sort of, the t-shirts and the money and the food and the food businesses it just under nhs being the being the beneficiaries of it at the end it all just felt so right and i think for like you know we are all driven by purpose in our businesses and to switch to that was so easy and i think i would have i would have like lost my mind without having that to do yeah. um and it was just and it was also really nice working with other people who were doing it as well um because you know we could all connect with each other and you know we were talking about like driving along different roads and going to different hospitals and stuff but it was really important it was really good it kept me sane for sure and i think as well the craziest thing is we didn't know what it covid was at that particular time yeah. and we were going to icu units oh where the God, sickest yeah. people were so it's yeah. like even the resilience like it shows you the resilience of hospitality and the mind frame of people within it that like yeah. they were putting you like almost on the front line kind yeah. of situation as well no, you know do you know what no not one we worked with with quite a few different businesses oh sorry <sighs> worked with quite a few different uh, businesses we worked with quite a few different businesses across that and loads of people were dropping off um to different icus and n not one not one of them said anything about like oh i don't feel comfortable with it and I only thought about that afterwards. I was like, God, you know, it's quite amazing. You know, I don't think that, that many people from like the general public would have would have gone in there. And it's nothing against them. It's just like that's how it's been portrayed in the news. And even at the hospitals, when you arrive, people, the security guards are like, you can't come in, you can't come in. But we were like, yeah, but we've got a food delivery. We're, we're used to doing that. We're like, no, I need to get into this festival. I've got a food delivery. Put the high vis um, on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah it was the resilience of everybody was was quite amazing and you know and actually talking direct to all the icu teams it actually made i think all of us realized that the teams within icu were quite similar to the teams within hospitality where like we would do anything for each other we would like you know we would put our lives on the line for each other i know that sounds ridiculous but you know i do think that the camaraderie and stuff is it's so strong sometimes within our industry and that's what it was like within ICUs as well and they were just they were running themselves ragged like you know they'd come out and get the food they were just like oh my god we're yeah. so grateful I haven't eaten for like I've been on shift for 12 hours I'm, I can't wait to like get a juice in me or whatever like you know seeing how they were working and what they were doing at the time it, it felt like 
gone, yeah, this is the least I can do to like help support these teams of people who were just thrown into it. They were like, they were like, we don't, we don't, in fact, it's a bit like I was trying to say, we haven't got enough staff, I'm working too many hours, I don't get paid enough. And it was like, shit, yeah, have some food. It's the only thing we know how to do, but here you go, like, yeah. yeah. And also as well, I remember the matron that was at the ICU in Lewisham, and this is like just testament to how beautiful these people are. They were like, I remember they called, she called and she was like, um, we now actually can have time to go to get food for ourselves. Uh, so yeah. now there are more deserving people. Yeah. Like there are families that can't get food and don't have money and aren't yeah. working and things like that. Please make sure that you're now supplying the yeah. food to the more needy people. We yeah. don't need it anymore. Yeah. And I was like, that just shows like, I don't know, it, it just, oh, the humanity in that, yeah, you know? Which, which happened at, at a number of different ICUs actually all in, all independently of one another and I think and that's kind of and we ended up sort of like flipping it from that into the food bank that we started running at a school in Tottenham because I think a teacher reached out to John and was like you know there's parents who are they're not getting school meal vouchers they can't afford to feed their kids whatever vouchers they're getting oh and also that when that um, thing hit of like, you know, that we, we saw in the paper, like pictures of- It was the, the Marcus food, Rashford thing when it was like the photo boxes, of the boxes, which would be like two like, pieces of banana, like really, half, it was awful. Yeah, awful. It was awful. And then, and so we could just flip from doing the NHS stuff into putting all the money into the food, into the food bank. Um, once a week we were doing that. So it was like, yeah, it was like part two, this is the next thing that needs help. So it was like diverting money quickly and easily to what needed, the, the, where the people were with the most need um, and yeah it, it's I don't know it's quite interesting because it's um, you know there was lots of big things happening at the time and like but it felt like it took a long time for them to get any money or help to people and we were like so reactive and all of us all our little food businesses in our little vans like buzzing around London doing different things it was cool yeah yeah, and I think the right word is reactive because I think that's what yeah. the hospitality industry has to be. Yeah. Every single day you open no matter what's happening yeah. and like people are coming to your shop, to your restaurant, to wherever. And it's like, you've got to have your game face on and like yeah. you have to resolve those problems then and there. And yeah. I think that mentality is just so powerful. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all we want to do is just get food to people. And that's kind of what we did even throughout the pandemic. It's like, I just need to make some food and get it to people. That's all I need to do. And if I can do that, I can go to bed happy. 100%. 100%. Right. I think we've covered a lot of the things. I've covered loads of stuff. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sorry if Ruby was barking. No, no, not at all. Ruby was absolutely fine. So, nervous about supermarkets, uh, women within food, opening your first restaurant, sports banger, um, trading at Street Feast, token book, herb, um, yeah, meat at the top of the food chain. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. Um, so, um, you spoke a little bit actually, well, I was quite interested, you spoke a little bit about the like taca, taqueria in like Tulum that like mm. you speak to and things like that. What's the name of that place? Charlie's Vegan Tacos. I love that. Um, yeah, they're wicked. Charlie's, Charlie's amazing. It's like a food truck, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Love it. And so, um, there's a there's a common theme that I'm trying to create within this series, um, within people to um, get like your best hidden gem food-wise out of you. If it doesn't have to be a hidden gem, it could be something that everyone knows. And then also, if there were, you know, 
you talk about mentors and things like that. Is there anyone that you'd love to go with and basically share a meal and maybe get some life hacks or some tricks or some understanding of maybe how to navigate things in your world or things like that or completely separate to yeah, food? I, don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of like, there's quite a few like good vegan places. I mean, there's loads of, there's the, what's, what's been brilliant over the last few years is like really good restaurants doing really good vegan food. Like Black Axe Mangal are now doing a vegan menu which was unthinkable a few years ago um, so I'd really like to go and try that um, although I don't know how I feel about everybody else in the restaurant <laughs> eating all the different bits and pieces but anyway um, yeah I mean I think I you know I really like Alter which is a vegan restaurant um, run by a guy called Andy who used to work at Samsa and he does that kind of like sort of Southeast Asian food but vegan um, and it's wicked it's really really good um, and um, yeah, there's a amazing uh, Chinese restaurant in Islington called Tofu Vegan, which is very like no frills, but they make all of their own tofu okay. and do like really authentic Chinese dishes, um, but vegan and yeah, it's, that's a really nice place. That sounds delicious. Um, but yeah, in terms of like mentors and people I want to go to, I'm the thing is I'm. I'm quite bullshy and anyone that I do want to go for dinner with, I just hit them up and I'm like, yeah, or, or I'm like, can I have a meeting? I need to ask you about this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean like, you know, I've already mentioned Neil and Zan. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's probably loads of people. I like, um, I just like quite, I, I look up to like quite interesting, bold people in food. Um, but yeah, I do. I do kind of like I've 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 hit them all up. They're probably all bored of me by now. Um, no, we're not going for dinner with you again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't really think of anybody. That's a really rubbish answer. Sorry. No, no, it's not a rubbish answer at all. I think it's the same. It's like it doesn't have to be about like directly within food. I think you are uh, growing a food, an independent food brand that you're trying to you know replicate and bring more. And there, it's. There are so many facets to that and yeah. there are so many transferable skills that need to be brought into it. So it could be a completely different business model, but you could learn so much from someone that's, you know, a couple of bits ahead in the food chain kind of situation, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Do you know what? I suppose I look less now for like professional guidance, even though it's important and it's really valuable. I'm more, I more just want to hang out with like fun and funny people because it's been such a shit, like, two years that you know I'd probably just pick out like funny people that I listen to on podcasts and stuff just I just and actually someone who's not going to talk about business not going to talk about food someone's going to give me a complete antidote to to everything um yeah I just want escapism yeah that's all I want I love Lucy um, said to me that there was a story that you went to Portugal and spoke to a fortune teller and like, or a tarot yeah, card. Yeah, it's not a story. <laughs> it's, like, it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told her that in confidence. <laughs> My mum's really into tarot card reading and stuff like that, so I heard it and I was like, that's so like, up. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. I wouldn't normally do something like that, but she was a yoga teacher and she was like, let me, let me do this like reading on you. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, she predicted quite a lot of stuff quite accurately, actually. actually. Great. Um, but yeah, Fantastic. but that's, that's actually kind of like, I suppose this year I've just been a bit like, and that was like in January. And I'm, I suppose this year I've just been like, just, I just want new and different um, 
I'll, anything that comes up that's new and different and I wouldn't normally say yes to, that's for me this just year. Just go with the flow. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, just something a bit different and different, different people, different personalities. Yeah. yeah. I've honestly really, really enjoyed this. It's been just a great conversation. Yeah, too, yeah. And it's always just a lovely, like, I think for me having these conversations, it's a bit of a trip down memory lane, but then also I think food, the food industry really was put on pause, but there was, but it was very active during that pause period. Yeah. And now I feel it's sort of awakening again and people are starting to like talk about their ideas and ambitions and like where they feel that it's going to be moving. And I feel people almost feel that there is a bit of solid ground to put your feet on. Yeah. And it's like you can look up and be excited again. Yeah. Um, and I feel that the London food scene and also within the UK, it was on such an interesting trajectory. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. got really like, Got it got pulled down yeah. and now it's about like reinvigorating that and like it's just about like let, what are the next steps yeah 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 which is yeah. really cool yeah. really really cool i think everybody just wants to everybody wants to talk to each other and everybody wants to find out how you've been over the last few years and find out what you want to do and like yeah just reconnect and yeah get back to where we were before completely well thank you so much for today i've really really enjoyed it you're welcome brilliant that was great. Oh, really? That was really, really great, Mez. Thank you. It is really cold now. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed that full episode of Service Please. If you could like, subscribe, follow, comment, any of those would be absolutely fantastic. And look forward to having you and hosting you again sometime soon.